What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Woke. It's your boy, Aaron. I'm glad to be back here in the space having another conversation with wonderful people. Now, tonight's topic, we'll be talking about the Black family structure, then, now, and in the future. Um, this came to me because recently events happened in my life with my family, as well as like things that are happening currently in the world. Well, the Western world, really, with the Black family. Um, so... I brought everyone here up because everyone has different family experiences, opinions, thoughts. Um, so I have a wonderful plethora of people. So welcome back, my cousin Stephen, um, my boy Tamaja and Andrew, my good friend Justice, and cool Colox. Had to save him for last because he's probably has the bigger platform than I do. <laughs> but Today's episode is sponsored by Childlike Clothing. I hope you all have been having a wonderful summer. If you haven't, go and check them out because they can go and brighten up every little bit of that joy that you missed up with a sale going on right now with 10% off anything with a code that they give you on the website. Or you can hit me up on Instagram at underscore lens15 and get my personal code that gives you 15% off. That's C-H-A-L-E clothing. All right, y'all. So I got a couple questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions, jump in. Um, I only have a few, so not saying it's going to be a short episode, but I just feel like we're going to go into a bunch of spaces with this topic. So my first question is, what is everyone's initial thoughts of how the Black family structure is, as well as like what it has been? So to kick it off first, I'm going to start with Tamaja, and then everybody else just jump in. You always got to start with me. Now I'm playing. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, now I think that um, if we're talking about, you know, where it is now versus like what it was um, and, you know, whether it changed, I mean, of course, it's changed drastically um, from what it used to be, you know, looking at like the civil rights era, even earlier, right, uh, than what it is today and how uh, broken it is, but I but I do think that um, it is slowly but surely coming back together. Um, there's a lot more, you know, groups that speak on, you know, awareness to the family and the family structure, and the, you know, and what that looks like in the black community. Um, and I think the the family structure that I I see um, that's you know making that comment. You know, you have the male. Uh, then you have the woman working together to raise the children and so forth, so on. Um, in my life, um, and I think what I'm talking about, like changes where, you know, growing up for me, it was just my mom, you know, Debbie, dad, and, you know, she's raising me and my sisters and, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and then looking at it from a, a greater lens, right, from my whole family. Uh, I had great aunts. I didn't really have great uncles. And then I had, you know, a great grandmother and a grandmother, you know, stuff like that. Uh, my family is uh, definitely a dominant matriarchy. Um, and so growing up, I had experiences that were, <laughs> it, was, it was a lot, you know, growing up. And then talking about becoming a man, what did that look like for me? Um, it was It was a very tough transition. Um, to the point where I had to, you know, gain male role models. Um, but it's not to take away from the women that I had in my life. You know, they were there for a season. Um, 
And I think that um, what I needed at the time, I did need a difference. But yeah, but overall, I think that um, it is coming back again slowly but surely. Um, but there's still some kinks uh, to work out within the, the Black family structure. But yeah. Okay. Uh, anyone can go next. I, I want to say I agree with Tamaja a lot with everything except for his conclusion. And that might be because I'm just a pessimist. But um, I think that one of the, uh, and I have a similar experience where you have a lot of strong female role models, but you really don't have any masculine role models to speak of. And I think that leads a lot so to, I don't want to say effeminization, but it's sort of this weird thing where you have the idea of like, you don't quite know what a man is supposed to be. And then there are a bunch of people on the internet who try to talk about it. And they talk about all these sorts of weird things, responsibility. You never hear that with things taken from the feminine perspective. And you think, well, why would anyone want to be a man? Why would you want to do all this stuff? Because they always talk about sacrificing all this other stuff and responsibility. And that sounds like it sucks, the way they always frame it. And it leads to this weird society that is matriarchal, in a sense. And to an extent, effeminine. Does that make sense? No, I get it. Um, Justice, you go ahead and follow up with that. No. Yeah, I actually agree. I think within the Black family structure, I think we've lost a sense of roles between being feminine and masculine, but also who should be the head of the household and who should not, um, but also when to have kids and when not to have kids, or just very difficult conversations now within Black households um, on both sides. I've seen now where there's Black mothers that prefer to be single um, because they don't need a man or I you know hear it from our brothers at the same time that they're okay with just having a child to raise on their own and not having a woman involved at all um, so the black family structure and dynamic has definitely changed um, and I also think there's a loss of trust um, within black families now or at least communication or loyalty um, so yeah, it's, it's become very difficult. I mean, it can turn around, but in order for it to turn around, I think we need to reestablish the roles within the black family structure. Okay. I like that. Would anyone like to follow up with that or just give their initial thoughts to the first question? I can go next. All righty. So um, from my perspective, I think that there's a couple different ways that we can, you know, look at this topic. We can look at what's happening um, in, you know, real life in the real world. And then we can look at social media and its influence and things like that. I think that, you know, you have, you know, your black couples and your black families that are actually um, providing a great example for what, you know, the black family structure should be today. You know, I do see a lot of, um, you know, black people who are getting married and, and you know, and, and even like staying together, like young black people even, you know, I just think about, you know, myself, you know, I have a black wife. Um, I think about my friends, they all are black men who have black wives as well too, for the most part. I have a couple's like single friends still, but most of them are married, you know, and I think about that type of thing. And I know that's my personal experience, but I, I've seen it a lot is what I'm saying, even outside of like my friend circles and things like that. I bring that up because I think that there is a desire for the black man and the black woman to want to be together to some extent. But I also think that there is still that other side where there's a lot of, you know, um, issues where, you know, people are trying to come in between 
what black women and black men are building. And when I say people, I'm really talking about white supremacy. I'm really talking about like a lot of factors that you see on social media. And I'm talking about all these other things that make it um, very difficult for us to have, you know, um, harmonious relationships. Now, again, there's a lot of like dustiness and there's a lot of like, you know, jankiness when it comes to, you know, um, the black family structure, because especially if you look on social media, you know, there's a lot of like influence where, um, you know, I think like a couple of you all kind of paired it to some extent that um, they're are a lot of uh, like gender role issues and things like that. I mean, you got like, you know, black women who want to be single. You got the black man whose voice is shunned, meaning there's no masculinity, you know, in the household. And then you got like, you know, statistics that are showing like the how this is all negative to that structure and how that's, a, you know, supposed to be an influence negatively on our culture. So I think that, you know, you got to look at it in two ways. You got to look at some of the things that are happening that are good, but also some of the the negative influences that are happening from the other side and um, where it's coming from. And that's why I said, like, for me, what I see is that it's white supremacy. And the other thing that I see, too, is that it's a lot of social media uh, culture influencing what's really happening or projecting an image and inflating it. All right. All right. Um, Andrew? All right. Uh, before I answer, can you just repeat the question one more time? Yes, sir. Um, what are your initial thoughts to the topic of how do you see the, well, let me read it again. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the black family structure? Um, and you can compare it then to now or just in general. Well, I guess, I guess for me, when I think of the black family structure, well, for one, I guess, I just look at, you know, like my family structure and I just think to myself, you know, thank God my parents are older than uh, than most parents. Like they were born in the time period with, that they were because I, I do think that people from like, you know, like my parents' generation, for the most part, they were raised with more of like an emphasis on family. You know, because I know that my mom, she came from, you know, not not a huge family, but, you know, a sizable family. She has, what, like, three others? Yeah, three other siblings. Um, both She had both her parents. My, with my dad, to my understanding, his parents weren't married, but he was raised by his father, and he had uncles. So he definitely had, you know, like, male figures in his life. So that definitely helped shape him into the man he became. And then obviously when my parents got together, they they had that, you know, they pretty much like understood what each other's role was. And they were able to, you know, like create a family with me and my brothers. And now obviously I can look at, I can look to them and see that they were not perfect. But when I, I can look at them and compare to obviously stuff that I see happening around with like whether it be people my own age or people younger than me, I'm just like, thank God I had this family structure compared to the alternatives that I see because I don't know how how much I I don't think I would have fared better had I had had I grown up in the same situation that they did. So I know that I can look based on like my own personal experiences and what I see through observable reality, 
as well as, you know, something that Colas mentioned with like the statistics and data that shows like the effects of like some of the current family structures, especially with single parent households. And I can look at that compared to my own life. And I'm just like, thank God I have the family structure that I did because it definitely played a huge role into developing who I am as well as putting a big emphasis on the idea of family. Because I know for me personally, I'm going to have a family. I'm going to have a wife. Then I'm going to have kids. And and I and I emphasize it in that order, getting married and then having kids. Because one thing that I do notice is that, you know, it's we black people are very unique and we always like to do things differently. But for some reason, when it comes to family structure, it seems like we we try to do things out of order and think that it'll still work out to the to optimal effects, even though we can see that maybe it's best to find someone that you trust, someone who you build a relationship due to their character and then have kids with them. Because when you look at the way relationships and families are forming today, everything is just so out of order. Well, don't jump the gun too quick, because that's part of one of my questions. Hold on now. Hold on. No. <laughs> well, um, I appreciate everyone's thoughts on the first initial topic. Um, I'm going to keep my thoughts short and simple. I think that it has its it's had its flaws and it's had its pro and it's had its pros. I think that some of the flaws have altered from like 1955 to like 2023. Um, and I can elaborate more on that a little bit later, but I was going to keep my response short so we can move on with the next topic. Um, does anyone have any questions before I move on with a question to respond to what someone said or just an initial thought? I had a question for Colas. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, so, um, What's up? yeah, I want to know about the white supremacy thing, because I think that's a bit of a stretch, especially if you look in, um, like, Appala- Appalachia and those poor white communities where they have a lot of the same problems with fatherless households and poverty. Let me make sure I understand your question. Are you saying that it's a bit of a stretch to say that white supremacy is uh, a cause for some of the issues? Is that what you're saying, or is that what you're asking not some, me? Not some of the issues. I would say the is like the underlying factor of it is like the main issue okay yeah no it 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 most certainly is um and the reason why it most certainly is is because um a lot of the things that they have done to the black community has um caused some of the issues that we actually have between one another um what i mean by that is um and i'll give you a direct example a lot of what I do on my channel, I talk about media and I talk about media influences and images and things like that. If you look at a lot of the images that are portrayed on media, they actually, you know, show how we should be acting in our community. It's almost as if they're trying to control and tell us how we should behave, how we should interact with one another, how um, black women should treat black men, how um Black men should be shunned and things like that. So they're the ones who are operating and controlling these things. And what happens is like, you know, the art that we see from media ends up um, permeating to the minds of the individuals who continue to consume this content. So it, in fact, influences our relationships and it influences the way that we act. So it actually even goes beyond relationships because it also influences the way that we just behave and the way that we see things and the way that we view things. So um, the reason why it's them is because they're the ones who are actually in control 
of that type of thing. And they're the ones who actually are creating black content and black people really aren't in control of it. They're just underneath that umbrella. So I think it directly impacts it for that reason. Just that that's one specific example. I could keep going, but like, you know, to answer your question, even with the whole thing of how like some of their communities don't function, uh, don't function properly and how there's some issues there. It's like, well, yeah, if they're controlling everything, of course, they're going to be affected, too, by the things that, you know, they're doing. It's not just to impact, um, like, only us. I mean, white supremacy really affects everybody. It just affects us the most. Yeah, I I, um, I think I agree. I think that um, white supremacy, I mean, you can, because uh, I know Justice mentioned something about trust. Like, um, we are not trusting each other. Right. And I think one, maybe I wouldn't, I mean, you know, it's hard. It's like percentages of how this contributes to this. I think uh, white supremacy can play into that uh, from a historical, I guess, standpoint. But uh, I think nowadays, um, if you're talking about like accountability, um, no, I see that on not just, you know, whites. I mean, just blacks. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, black influencers uh, that would post things uh, or, you know, black newscasters who would, you know, go on these rants um, talking about the community as well. So I don't think it's necessarily big in the sense of that, but from a historical standpoint of why we're having these issues and this and the third, yeah, I, I can see you making the dot to that, uh, making a connection um, as it relates to like trust and everything like that. Um, but as far as like how much does white supremacy play into this? I don't think it plays as big as a role, me personally. Now, you know, everybody has, has their own personal opinion. I don't think this uh, plays as much of a role as um, I guess we should focus on. All right. Last thing I was going to say about that. I don't I don't really think we're focusing on it per se, but I think that the thing that needs to be highlighted is that the problem with history or at least us saying it, saying that it's history is that it's actually in the present. And it actually has residual effects on the way that we um, operate because it actually affects every area of activity that we thrive in. So, it, I mean, like I'm saying that not even I'm just going beyond the perspective of even our relationships and how we're interacting with one another. I'm talking about anything that we particularly like delve into. So that's just a, a thing like saying that, you know, I, and I'm not refuting what you're saying. I get what you're saying. But like when it comes to it being history, the problem is, is that it's still there. That would assume that it's it's it was there at one point and now it's gone. But I or or at least it's mitigated. And I don't really think it's mitigated at all. I think it's had residual effects. And what's happened is so much time has passed by. We're looking at people. And we're like, well, how are you going to fix this thing that's happening to you? And I think that's what is essentially, you know, happens with the, the black community. So it's not really even about like scapegoating we're just tell, keeping it real about like what's not just what's happened in history but what's what's going on in the present well i, I want to bring it back to for a second of when justice brought up the the point of trust well this is done to justice and then everybody is like where do you think that trust was lost as well as how do you think we can gain it back mm, it's it's really tough i i do think that because there's there's a miss of trust between uh children and parents right when we do have a father or a mother that leaves or abandons the child 
And so then the child has a misplaced of trust with their parents, but there's also misplaced of trust with uncles and aunties, or there's also a misplaced of trust when the family says, oh yeah, we're going to show up at your birthday, or we're going to uh, cheer you on in those proud moments, and then no one's there, you know, or oh, we're going to have a family reunion this year. And the last family reunion we had was what? In like 1999? Like we have lost a sense of trust when it comes to making promises to family members or being there for family members or communicating with family members. Um, for me personally, um, growing up, it, I have an interesting dynamic because I have two sets well, of course, I have my biological parents, but both of my parents were married, got divorced, and then remarried. So in my mind, I almost feel like I have two sets of parents, uh, step-parents and my parents, but also two separate family dynamics, um, different siblings and step-siblings on both sides. So it's a little bit different for me because I've had to... Um, I almost kind of want to call myself like a chameleon, but I've kind of had to, oh, on this side of the family, I behave and act this way and earn their trust and get along. But on the other side of the family, I have to earn their trust and behave and do certain things this way. Not saying either way or trust and relationship building is wrong on either side, but from my perspective, it's kind of like, can we get both sides to interact? Can we get both sides to trust each other? Um, can I be able to trust both sides of parents or with my own biological parents? So I feel like the trust building is lacking and I'm not really sure how we could just quickly flip the switch, but I think that open communication within the family, not false promises, um, and being more realistic within Black families as well, because um, we do have the good side that we don't really acknowledge, but I do think that social media influences the negative side to the Black family dynamic a lot. And we tend to lean towards that because um, you guys were mentioning how heavily we are influenced by media, and that's true. So maybe we're trusting media instead of trusting what's right in front of us. So really, I think trust is a really broad uh, topic to address when it comes to the black family dynamic but i definitely think it could be worked on and you know to follow up with that i think you talking about trust more so you can correct me if i'm wrong more on the micro level of like immediate families right that's what you're talking about yeah i think that that is an excellent point because communities are made up of individuals and individual families so i think that's a good place to start is building that trust like you said um delivering on those things now you know just of course to be a, a objective some things on court of course promises will be broken unfortunately that's just the reality of being a human is someone's going to break their promise someone's not going to come through but like what you're talking about is when it becomes a consistent pattern that does build a lot of mistrust and i do understand that i i was thinking about it um in the terms of more of the or the macro, like the bigger scale of mistrust. And I think that a lot of mistrust about what's been going on in the family is about like what we have been shown and everything that's present to us that isn't completely true. Like, um, <clears throat> you know, like I one thing I blame is feminism. 
I think that a lot of black women who subscribe to feminism need to stop because it isn't promoting what it quote unquote should be doing. It it's not promoting the okay. I and I think that every man up here is cool with women doing better in their lives. It I I don't think that that is a terrible thing at all. But the thing is, like where some of our sisters have seen it is they see it as not just doing better, but being better than the man. And then therefore, if you're better than the man, you don't need the man. I've seen uh, quite a few women, unfortunately black women, boast and brag about how they can raise their children or child on their own. No, you can't. Um, it takes a village. It, it takes parents. And I think that that's one thing that's causing mistrust is that some sisters see men as just the enemy point blank period of just you're going to hurt me harm me in some way or some sort of fashion and it's the music they consume the media they see the shows that they watch um i know colas talks a lot about this on his platform is one thing is like on now media we don't see a, a solid black couple together anymore like there has to be an issue one of them has to cheat um and if we see someone black in a healthy relationship they're in either an interracial relationship, which I personally don't have a problem with. I know some people may have other thoughts and opinions with, but they're not with someone else black and it's not strong. So the media that's around is pushing that agenda of that there is something wrong with us that one side can't trust the other. And then there's the other side too, where some black men have very strong opinions about black women and just see them all as terrible and god awful. Um they're not all terrible and god awful. There, there are some out here who need work, but then there are some out here who are genuinely fantastic women. And I think that me personally, that's where some of that mistrust comes from. It's just the bullshit we just see and consume. Can I ask you a question real quick, Relentless? Yes, sir. So where do you believe that feminism began? I don't want to like obviously go into like a big rabbit hole, but I'm I'm a big picture thinker. But um I was thinking about the point that you made about um how feminism is one of the possible things that has caused like some of this uh you know mistrust to a certain extent and my question to you is where do you believe that that began i think that for black women or in general just in general it will both but both i I feel like they both kind of lead to the same answer but yeah yeah um i would say the late um to mid the mid to late 60s um that's Mm -hmm. where it started and i think that black women really launched it and really some black women i don't want to say all because i don't want to generalize yeah this ain't you justice (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry no me and justice had conversations she's an outstanding woman um Mm. i think that it was during that time because i remember it was i forget the brother's name but he was a a black guy his last name was baldwin um Mm. him and nikki giovanni were having like a conversation about the black man and the black woman Mm-hmm. And during that interview, I think it was in 1973 or 1974, mm-hmm. that is, even though it was a very interesting dialogue and they're both eloquent and amazing speakers, that right there showed where it was an issue. Yeah. Well, the reason why I bring that up is because I know earlier we were talking about the uh, white supremacy, not, not to go back to it, but I just wanted to kind of bring this point to kind of center. Even that issue that you discussed kind of just goes back to um, what I was saying why we need to just be careful about like some of the images that are portrayed. So it goes back to that thing about social media and the things that we're convincing people um, are good for them. And when I say we're, I'm really just talking about white supremacy. 
Um, the reason why I'm going back to race to a certain extent is because I have always said, even on my own platform, that um, feminism is an issue more so of race than it is of sex. And a lot of people have looked at me cross-eyed when I said that. And I said, well, think about it. There's not really um, anything that a black man really at the end of the day can control. So to put that onto a black man is already an issue in itself. So again, I'm a big picture thinker. So I'm thinking like, where did all this stuff originate? And what are the residual effects that we see? See that right there talking about feminism, that being something that black, certain black women, you know, not all black women, of course, like you said, are upholding and are seeing as a good thing. It comes from a certain place. It comes from a certain ideology. But then you have to think about like the actual residual harm that it does and who was the person who created that residual harm, you know, that is being done to our community. So these are all things that we need to consider, at least from a big picture standpoint. So I, I just wanted to ask that question to kind of just bring that up for a second. I understand. Um, Justice, I hope I didn't say anything crazy and then you leave the panel and you say, you know, Aaron, Oh, no, I'm fine. You know how I now. get down. Um, <laughs> but thanks for the compliment. Uh, but I, I actually do agree with uh, Mr. Kolos here as well. Like, unfortunately, a lot of my sisters, um, they look into feminism, but they don't realize that what they're actually being influenced by is white feminism. And which is which is very interesting because we don't have the same benefits as our uh, white sisters and we don't have the same um, access accessibility as they do either. And he's actually correct when it comes to black men. Um, black men don't really have a lot of control in society. And so we're going off of that narrative and applying it to ourselves. But I also um, agree with, with Tamaja's point earlier about accountability at the same time, um, because Aaron, you were talking about how a lot of the times um, women will just think, okay, I can do this by myself type of situation or scenario. But Tamaja was making a point earlier about being accountable and like realizing like, okay, maybe I made a mistake here, or maybe I made the wrong step. And I think we also have to see that side as well, because not all Black families and not all Black love has to incorporate a struggle, right? You don't have to do everything by yourself from the man's perspective or the woman's perspective, but maybe that narrative is being pushed onto us and we're trusting in that narrative at the macro level instead of trusting what is actually in front of us or the situation or relationships that we have in our family dynamic, right? So um, I can see where you're saying where it comes from a macro perspective. I like that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And I appreciate Absolutely. you bringing thank in you. the perspective of it being on a smaller scale because it does start at home. Everything starts at home. I know Andrew and I have had conversations and one thing he's always going to say, which I appreciate, he says, everything starts in the household. Um, I do want to take this time out to say thank you to my sponsor, Charlie Clothing. Make sure y'all go check them out and see what they got. That's C-H-A-L-E Clothing. Um, any other thoughts, questions, common concerns? Yeah, yeah. in response to Oh. No, you go ahead. No, I'm sorry. In response to what Kolos and um, Justice said, I think that what they're talking about is more so fourth-way feminism, which is a more recent phenomenon. I think that starts roughly in 2010. What Aaron is talking about is more so second-way feminism, which starts with Simone de Beauvoir, writing The Second Sex, and I think in 1954. And that movement, in a way, I don't know if she intended it this way, but it kind of is an attack on femininity as a concept. 
one of the ways she sets up the book, she's trying to answer the question of why women are considered the other. And the reason she comes to is because women can give birth because they can become mothers. And she describes motherhood as enslavement to the species. And so you get this sort of weird chain that leads to the idea that it's good that if women are masculine and men are feminine because it's a deconstruction of that idea and it moves away from that. In a way, it kind of depicts femininity as being childish in the idea that women need to grow up into being more masculine to being men or like pseudo-men, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Whereas the fourth wave feminism angle is sort of an offshoot of Kimberly Crenshaw's intersectionality where you do have all the disparate groups that exist. It's not just like, oh, this person is experiencing oppression because uh she's a woman she's also experiencing depression because she's black so she's a black woman and it's that sort of idea and that kind of morphs over time into the idea that white people bad in some way or other that's mostly outside of academia and in the general cultural zeitgeist i appreciate that (laughs) i think that um my my thing is like straight line like straight line connection right and so when we're talking about feminism and you talk about the ways of feminism um I I don't want to just say that, you know, I want to give all the credit uh, to white women, right? Because I think you also have some black women there. Uh, there was a lady, I can't remember her name, but she gave a speech, Ain't I a Woman? You know? That's the Joyner um, Truth. And, and it's, and it's the Joyner Truth. Mm-hmm. Yes. There it is. And it's one of those things where we look at the waves of feminism. I think that you had white, you had black, you had Hispanic. And I think for, you know, black women, right? Um, from what I hear, is that uh, looking at this idea, right, then like you say, everything starts in the home, bringing it back to the home, and then we're talking about like accountability and stuff like that, you had a lot of black men, right, uh, who were, let's say, you know, beating on their wives, right, and so they get to the point of hell, no, I'm not taking that no longer, right, and so they started to, you know, move in this, you know, this movement of, you know, I can do all, look, that's where we get the, you know, I can do bad all by myself, you know, uh, because of the, you know, traumatic experience, you know, black women had to face in their households. Um, especially when we talk about traditional um, black households. Um, and so I think that we're looking at accountability. I think that it does in a way go too far. And now you have, you know, women becoming masculine and, and men becoming feminine. I think it's, it is moving too far, but I think the original point, right, uh, was once again, accountability. Uh, the black household, um, you know, was not, you know, perfect. There was things that needed to be worked through. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when the feminine movement came about, you know, it's like the black women saw this and said, okay, well, you need to change this and you need to change that, you know what I'm saying? Because that's the only way we can make this better, right? Uh, this this relationship. Um, and then now, you know, it's more to something else. But I think, uh, yeah, when I'm saying straight line connection, um, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to, you know, play on like, oh, well, you know, uh, race. Because I think that you had a lot of women contributing at the beginning. Than just white women. Agreed. I definitely agree with that. And I think that makes a lot of sense. I just, um, it's interesting because there's definitely multiple movements of feminism. However, like we also have to go back to when the first feminist movement came out, 
it wasn't all of our beautiful women of color. And I think with every single movement in history, we take pieces from the movement that came before and then spin it and we add our little twist to it, right? So it's like, okay, well, this and this does apply to me, but these other things don't apply. But we still take from the historical movement that was before our own. And so that's a little tricky. Um, but you bring up a good point when it comes to the household as far as you know, domestic violence was happening in the Black community in one point, but also infidelity. And also what Andrew was talking about as, as Black people, we are unique and we tend to do things that are non-traditional. So we do have children before marriage, or maybe we have a different marital ceremony, or maybe we move in before uh, the marriage or children. So we do things out of order but i won't get too ahead because aaron said he had a question or something about that <laughs> i appreciate it uh andrew go ahead and since uh, since a lot of people have like brought up feminism especially you know like the different forms there's also like one thing that i that i found out like what a few months ago and it was just kind of eye-opening Cause I was I was watching a YouTube video and this person brought it up and so I just looked it up for myself and it was crazy. It was basically because are people familiar with the you know Cosmopolitan magazine? You know, like the the type the kind of magazine that you know like is basically like geared towards women. Like people are familiar with that. Yeah. So the, what this piece of information that I found out was it was that um. This this one woman who wrote for Cosmopolitan magazine like but a few years ago, she came out and admitted that she and like other people that worked for them, they wrote or they put like po uh, feminist propaganda and like fake not and like fake stories in those magazines to basically sell the idea of feminism, you know, stuff like being independent having a uh, being able to be sexually liberated you know the things that basically steered women away from traditional family and like that traditional like lifestyle the fact that it, it's, it's just crazy when you see stuff like this and you that it that at the very least in this particular time because this was like during like the during the 70s when this occurred. It's just very interesting to see that there's actually a verifiable proof that, especially coming from the people who are involved with it, that women were, in a sense, effectively kind of lied to and fed this fantasy idea that, as as it states, in, in like, as she would state that women could have it all. They could basically do what they want, chase the career, have family when they deemed it was preferable for them and just this whole idea that they can basically have it all and how and just like we and just like a lot of people have talked about how definitely black women have definitely fed into feminism and feminist ideals at, at the very least the ones that that they felt applied to them and so I just think it's interesting that when we that with like with the revelation of this knowledge that 
I, I really want like like knowledge like this to become even like even more like mainstream so that people will understand that a lot of the things that we see, especially with you know like media, social media, like TV, a lot of this is stuff being pushed in order to like sell this idea in order to you know like sell products because that was the whole point of like cosmopolitan they wanted to sell women products and the best way that they found they could do that was to sell this idea of us of a thriving single woman that has it all and gets everything she wants so that's definitely a that's definitely a factor mm-hmm. in how you know like the when it comes to the state of relationships and by proxy families because with this, when the, with this, it basically is telling women that there are women out here who can put off families and not necessarily care about families, but it still works out for them. Now, am I saying that there are some people, there are some women out here that just don't want family? No, we we know that some people out here don't want families, and that's and that's all good to them. But I'd I'd rather there be a person that says they don't want a family as a person as opposed to a person that wants to create a messed up family situation by doing stuff out of order and doing stuff in a way that is proven to not work. Yeah. But it's just, it's just stuff like that where it's like, you know, as a church folks say, we, we, we need to come to Jesus moment, you know, admit our faults and like actually get together and solve this problem. Yeah, it's like, you know, the saying, so like some people want the wedding, they don't want the marriage. Some people want kids, but they don't want the family. And it just all goes to shit, in my personal opinion. Um, anybody else got anything to follow with that before I ask another yeah. question? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I'm really glad that Andrew said that because uh, the United States actually has a really long storied history of corporations co-opting political movements to sell products. The tobacco industry in the early 20th century noticed that women don't smoke that much. And they started appealing to the first wave feminist movement and said, don't you want to be equal to men and buy our cancer? St-? They didn't know it cost cancer back then. <laughs> buy our, our product, your torches of freedom. And it worked, and female smoking skyrocketed. There's also some uh, funny ads from the 1950s that I have saved in my phone for magazines that are trying to sell Colgate toothbrush. It's like, is your husband cheating on you? It's because you don't use Colgate toothpaste. Wow. I mean... And it's crazy, because that does kind of go in line with this... Like, this one video I saw where um, this this one guy, he said that um, advertise, like advertisements, they intentionally target women because like as as he said women are more susceptible and they are impulse buyers that's well that's how he said it but you saying that that does kind of make things line up in a sense another big one too this is loosely related but in the 1980s ronald reagan repealed the regulation on like children's uh how you could advertise the children basically and you saw a bunch of the toy brands starting to exist like the next day like transformers and he-man and that's another one. She-Ra, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And you have a bunch of people now who seem really attached to those brands in a way that previous generations hadn't been the things of their childhood, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. That is something that I like to look into. Send me some of that info when you can, Stephen. Oh, Aaron, I'm 100% sending you these ads. They're hilarious. Thank you. <laughs> like right after the show. Sounds good to me. So my next question is, and I'm going to pitch it to Colas, what are some of the pros and cons of the Black family then versus now? 
That's a great question. Um, there's a, <laughs> I feel like there, there's so many things to to think about here. I think a lot more of us are kind of like, um, you know, waking up and seeing the importance of, you know, black, um, you know, men and women being together and then like the boundaries and understanding like kind of some of the issues, like really digging deep into the issues that were going on in the past. I, that's one good thing that I see about relationships today. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that. And I think we may have talked about this on a previous show of yours. But um, one thing that I've seen, for example, is that we highlight that issue of, you know, when black men and black women like our parents, grandparents, et cetera, were in relationships, the black um, woman, like the black mother, grandmother, whatever you want to call her, tend to act like a grown child. And then the black man wouldn't like basically veto all that stuff he would be kind of quiet and kind of just let her do her thing and then get mad at anybody else who wouldn't do the same thing we've been kind of like putting a stop to that because the reality is is that that black woman that older black woman who acted and behaved in that way pretty much influenced um you know a lot of you know the black women that we see today to act in the same manner I have this astute belief that when you have a black woman who has a certain behavior in the way that she behaves, um, you know, it, it's like, you know, just just real janky. She's going to pass that on to whatever woman that she is, you know, raising as well, too. And I think that a lot of us are kind of waking up and we're kind of seeing that. And that's not to dump on black women or anything. I'm just giving it an example, by the way. Um, so that's one good thing is that we like do the accountability thing is like a big thing. And and I've said that before that, you know, we really need to focus on that. As far as like the bad things that I see, um, I think that because of, and again, th I, I really want to deviate right back to the whole media influence thing. I think because of the way that media influences us, they try to make it seem like black people should be the holders of this non-monolithic gimmick. In other words, the the, the roles, the ways that Black men were, you know, uh, supposed to behave. Black women were supposed to behave. I think that we have this now culture where we can behave any kind of way and there's no unity and there's no structure because other people are telling us how we should behave instead of ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody should be the same. I'm not I'm not advocating for that. But I think that we need to look at the way that we are being influenced and we and the influence is so much heavier now and we feed right into it, especially with them playing upon the nature of the black person to want to be entertained and to want to entertain. So I think that, you know, there's a lot of like issues at work with the with media influence and the way that we function and influence in our relationships. But I think the good thing is we're also more self-aware of the way that, you know, um, some of the problems that actually existed within our specific communities would actually impact us. All right. I appreciate you, Nancy. Um, anybody can go next. Yeah, I think um, one of the good things is now, like looking at it now, I feel like mental health uh, conversations have definitely improved. I feel like back in the day, Black families were so afraid to talk about mental health. Like, oh, no, we can't talk about you being depressed. Like, we, we have to avoid that. We can't talk about that. Um, and I feel like now we're having the open dialogue of, okay, Black people can go to therapy and Black families can go to therapy together and we can make improvements. So I see that as a good side. Um, on the negative side, I think one thing that we could learn from our past with a Black family dynamic is more so sticking together. I think in the past, like, you know, 
whether it was with our Black neighbors, whether it was going to the Black church, whether it was just supporting one another's families and wanting to see families stick together. I mean... <laughs> Now all I see is people saying, girl, leave him or, oh, leave her. You don't need her. Like, so it's very frustrating. Or you don't need to take care of them kids or what? You've got child support. That's crazy. Like, we don't need to deal with that. So I wish we could go back to the family dynamic of what it was in the past where it's like, okay, let's stick together. Let's try to work this out. Let's try to work together as a family so we can be better off. Um, versus now I think everything is just like well I don't really need this family or I don't need you or if you felt disrespected it's like we can't have the conversation to work that out you just automatically just start ghosting your family because you're salty that they didn't show up to your birthday so it's like certain conversations are being held but then on the flip side the other conversations that I think would be easy are not being held at the same time no, I agree. And damn it, Justice, you stole my answers. But Oh, sorry. Yeah, I agree with her 100%. <laughs> no, don't be sorry. That was excellent that you brought it up. Um, I'm going to jump in here. Something that I would add with the pros of the relationships of old is not just the unity piece of what you were talking about. The I'm for lack of per lack of lack of better term, I want to say durability and the ability to actually work through and understand that yes we are humans and i need to treat you correctly you need to treat me correctly however we also have things such like as kids bills whatever like for example steven and i um our great aunt you great if i'm wrong steven she um had 23 kids and she also raised my grandfather and that's 24 they didn't have time to go back and forth about who the hell didn't wash the dishes. The dishes just need to be clean. Like they had mouths to feed, people to raise, morals and values to instill in them. Um, they had so much more at play that they didn't worry about like what did you what you said last week. I didn't like that shit. Now, granted, that is a pro here because in today's relationships, because if you didn't like that shit now, okay, let's talk about it. Like, dang, I didn't realize I did that. And now I can be. Uh, now I can apologize and that's like a con of back then of like um not to put my family business out there but I was told by I remember my family that their husband said something that still bothers her to this day and she tried to talk about it and he just like eh man eh, woman eh we ain't gonna talk about that eh like I appreciate how that has flipped today where it's like all right baby like what did I say like what I say that was wrong let's talk about it so i appreciate that that aspect has flipped however i'm still going to stay with the point of it was a pro to work through things back then more than it is now like justice said like for example um a friend of ours a friend of mine's tamaja and andrews one of um his ex-girlfriend's friends was trying to convince another friend to break up with her boyfriend because he didn't show up to her birthday party mind you this man was working he couldn't get off work and to supplement the fact that he wasn't able to come he paid not just for her birthday dinner but for everybody who was there however they were still trying to convince her to break up with him because he just didn't show up that's some bullshit that happens nowadays that i wish would stop um steven i saw you came off the mic earlier yeah um my great-grandmother you're a great aunt if i can hey, find the yeah there's um there's go. a family picture of all of them and if i can, there's only one though if i can find it i'll send it to you yeah it's one of my it's grandpa's crazy. in my grandma's house yeah oh you have it yes they have it. i don't have it they got it oh <laughs> <laughs> 
But yes, like when I head back there, I'll take a picture of it and send it to you. Um, All right. But yes, it's like that. That's just my main point. So I'm piggybacking off of what Justin said, but that is um, a pro and a con. That those are the pros and cons that I see today. Uh, anybody else could go. Uh, Tomas, go ahead. Yeah, I, I agree with Justice, Colas, even yourself, Aaron. Um, those are great pros and even some cons there. Um, and I think, like, yeah, self-respect was another big thing back then. Um, that sense of order, right? Um, mm-hmm. And a sense of, you know, you ain't going <laughs> to go out there and act a fool, you know. Um, there was sensible, like, behavior. Whereas now, as it's kind of like, you know, anything goes. You can act any kind of way. You can do anything you want to do. And it's like, yeah, because you're black, that's acceptable. Um, whereas back then, oh, no, you weren't doing that. You ain't going to do that either. You know, so there were standards. Um, and I think now um, we really, uh, well, I would just say in my, I guess, uh, fear of influence, I see a, a, a lack of standards. Um, where it's just anything goes kind of thing. No standards with this, no standards with that. Um, whereas back then they had standards. You know, there were bigger things that mattered more. And I think, too, um, there was a unified struggle, too. You know, you're talking about, you know, 50s and 60s. I mean, there was a unified struggle. Um, so, yeah, there was that sense of uh, protection over the children and covering them. Yeah, the whole neighborhood was watching you kind of thing. Um, because of what was going on at the time. And I think now uh, we we really did lost that sense of um, community, right? And now everybody is very individualistic. Um, and so, yeah, and I think, too, you know, I mean, I'm that's bringing up accountability again, you know what I'm saying? It was different then than now. Um, and so, yeah. I think one of the big things that um, no one has brought up is how the change in the economy has affected the family structure. Because like in the 1950s, uh, the average age for marriage, I think, was like 20 for a woman and 22 for a man. And it's because like you could drop out of high school in the 1950s and then get a job at a factory for like 30 years with like a pension fund. And they give you a gold watch when you retire. And that was that would make you really attractive to a woman. In the modern day, since we're an information based economy, instead of a manufacturing based economy. You get out of high school and then you go to college for four years and maybe your degree actually wasn't as good as you thought it was. You didn't have to go to graduate school or law school or any other sort of thing. And then you're much older by the time and it's harder for you to get married. And you have a lot of kind of strange phenomenon. I think the average age for me now is like 28 and I think it's 30 for a man. I might be wrong on that one, but it's somewhere around that area. And you have a lot of strange phenomenon where um, men try to, a lot of older men try to date or women too, try to date older and then men try to date younger where you have uh, guys trying to date women in like their early 20s, but they're not a- actually interested in them. They just want to sleep with them because they see them as being mentally immature. And you have women who, to some extent, just kind of want that feeling of stability from the man who's in his 30s. But like, there's still that big age gap where they don't really see each other's equals, which I think is a big problem that no one really could have foreseen at the time. You know, that is a good point, bringing up that financial and economic piece of it today like i i do think that is something we should also bring into the conversation so i appreciate you bringing that up all right andrew 
when I think about like the black family structure today compared to back then, and I think about the pros and cons, one thing that I would definitely say is a huge pro, it's basically stuff that's already been mentioned already. Stuff such as the notion of, you know, community and as Tamaza said, standards. You know, when you think about today in, in place of standards, what's something we always hear? Live your truth. In other words, do what you want and don't care about what anyone has to say or think about. That's a, And that's another way of, as Tamada keeps bringing up, dodging accountability. See, when there comes standards, there comes like a setup. With standards, there comes rules. There's like a way that you should conduct yourself if you don't want to be looked at a certain way. I mean, it's just common knowledge. I can't walk out I can't walk out, sag my pants, and act like I am deserving of the utmost respect. Y'all might know me and think that I'm a very nice person, but to the person who has never met me, they'll look at me and they'll be like, why would I respect a, a grown man who's showing his his undergarments? Mm. Like it, It's just simple, simple stuff like that. But we're in an age now where People think that they can live their lives and live, quote unquote, live their truth and expect to be treated with the utmost respect. And it's like respect is always respect given is respect earned. That's something that I've always that's something I've been taught. That's something I how I approach life with. As far as I know, when I come across someone. You have my respect until you do something that shows me that you are not no longer deserving of. It can be with how you present yourself. It can be with how you talk, how you view people, stuff like that. Especially when, especially when I think about like the kinds of stuff that people consume, such as like media, music. But I, I don't, I don't want to go too deep into that because that'll get me on a long tangent. But in regards to things that definitely is a pro now compared to back then is, and I'm pretty sure if someone has already touch on it is the uh, the ideas of mental health and actually you know talking about these issues and actually going to seek professional help because I know that with when it comes to stuff like mental health something that and this is no shot at the church but something that's always been a thing is just to you know just pray about it and then hope and then hope that Jesus can help you with it well I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty sure God put the idea for people to become therapists in order to help people. So the prayer has been answered. Whether you want to act on that answer prayer is up to you. But that's like, like I was saying, that was just something that I think that is definitely much better now. That we are more willing to actually talk about mental health, the effects that it has on us, and how like and how the things that our family members do to us can affect us. So that's definitely a pro of a pro from modern day standpoint compared to back then. I agree with that. So tying into that, because Tamaza said it, Andrew said it, Colasa said it, I think Justice and Stephen have said it. So my next question is, has the black family ever understood or will understand true accountability? Hmm. Without them, without them standards, 
<laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I don't know for real because it's funny because Andrew said the sagging pants and it just got me thinking about the whole thing that blew up uh, recently about how women can wear their bonnets anywhere. And I'm sorry, sis, it is not acceptable. I don't want to see your bonnet at work, at church, in the grocery store. And if you lay down in your bed with that same bonnet you wore all day, I have questions. But anyway, um, the standards is definitely key. Back in the day, if you did something wrong, it didn't just reflect on yourself. It also reflected on your family. So if I did something and got caught doing something I wasn't supposed to do, somebody went and told the family or somehow the family found out and there was consequences applied. Without those standards, I don't know what's going to happen. Those standards, they need to come back. Whoever can go next, what can't go next? Anybody? Any takers? I'll look it up. I think accountability is a really sort of hard thing to enforce on an individual level because we as a society struggle to enforce it on like a broader level at all. The really easy example is like corporations and stuff when they use slave labor in other countries, like Nestle uses child slavery to pick their cocoa beans, allegedly. But like they, no one holds them accountable for that. And so it's like this multinational corporation is not being held accountable for using actual slavery, allegedly. But you want to hold someone accountable for doing X, Y, and Z thing on an individual, individual level. And people notice that thing if, even on a subconscious level. And so no one ends up holding anyone accountable for anything. Talk about like, like the... Okay, break it down for me. So you're talking about how it's a... Uh... It can be hard to enforce that because basically there's always going to be hypocrites. It's not that they're hypocrites. It's like it is actually hard to like hold not only just like individuals accountable, but also organizations that do things that are far more heinous. So when you have someone on like an individual level who's doing a bad thing, they go, oh, yeah, what about that thing that that other group did that was horrible that is currently still happening? So it becomes harder because no one's really capable of holding anyone accountable. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Like, I kind of agree and I kind of disagree. I'm like in the middle. I I agree from the point of like, people are going to do whatever the hell they want to do anyway. Um, especially like these big corporations, because we're seeing it right now, like the writer's strike and the um, actor's strike. You know, these big corporations basically are making plans to move on with and without writers. Um, and they really don't give a shit. But I kind of disagree because I believe that you can hold individuals accountable. It's it's whether they enact it is on them. But I, I believe like when it comes to certain things, um, when you can address some something to somebody, not just you, but literally the backing and the community and the unity of everybody around you. Like, for example, Back in the day, if somebody did something wrong in the black community, like let's say um, Johnny Q up the road broke into Mr. Rogers' store and he stole, uh, what they, let's say he stole like a Coca Cola. Your mom gonna tell you why, your mom gonna hold that and make you accountable. Your dad gonna do that. 
your grandma gonna do that, your grandpa gonna do that, your neighbor gonna do that, your neighbor's neighbor gonna do that. Like everyone's gonna make sure don't rob Mr. So and so again. He worked so hard to give us all this little stuff in the community. Don't rob him no fucking more. Versus now, little Tay Tay go there and he rob Dollar Tree just because he can. Free Tay Tay. Tay Tay ain't do shit wrong. Tay Tay a real nigga. Tay Tay was out here doing what he had to do. So I do think that. There is a difference. I do see what you're saying. I just think that there's levels to it. Can I yeah. add something? Yes, go ahead. I also think that when it comes to accountability, part of the reason why nowadays it can definitely be hard to, you know, enforce accountability is because instead of instead of applying adic- instead of applying appropriate consequences to bad or degenerate behavior. Nowadays, especially people in our community, they're more likely to celebrate it and praise it. I agree. I, I don't. I, I don't know about you, but I don't see any. I don't see how it's empowering to get on, to get on a stage where you know the thousands of people watching, and you're you're on stage twerking and your skirts are lifting up and you pretty much have nothing on, and. But when you get on social media, a majority of the time, it's like, oh, my God, look at them enjoying themselves free, just doing what they want to do, living their best life. They're getting they're getting they're getting rewarded and like positive approval, positive approval for unacceptable behavior. Every time we continue to reward unacceptable behavior. It just feeds this notion. It just tells the people that are engaging in this behavior that they can do whatever they want and that they cannot be held accountable. No, I, I agree completely. I definitely want to um, chime in on this topic here um, real quick. Yes, sir. So this is my perspective here. Um, when it comes to the black um, community, what a lot of you all are keep calling accountability is really appropriate behavior at the end of the day and yeah, sticking right. to that level of appropriate behavior. If you ever look at and I don't know if any of you all follow Dr. Claude Anderson, he actually has spoken about this, not even just from a relationship standpoint, but just from a racial standpoint, the way that we should interact with one another. We should have a certain amount of appropriate behavior and certain a certain code of ethics that we follow as um, black people to be able to just stick together in the community. So what that um, means is we need to look at um, the way that we function, the way that we carry ourselves for ourselves, not for anybody else, for ourselves. We have to look at the way that we interact with each other. We also have to understand who our enemy is and who our enemy is not. I think a lot of like the reason why there's a lot of issues with relationships is because there's a lot of infighting. When we, If we realize that we're not each other's enemy. Black men are not black women's enemy and vice versa. Then that would be the, um, a means of understanding how we can kind of stay, as a lot of people say, on code with one another. And that means within relationships, too. The other layer to this that I think a lot of people don't really consider here is that every society, including black society, has degenerates. You are always going to have degenerates and there is no way that you're going to possibly get rid of it. So as much as I desire for unity to happen, I also understand that to some extent it is a bit overrated. And I know that's an unpopular opinion, but it is kind of overrated. You will have individuals in society who you are just going to have to leave behind and say, hey, I can't really do nothing about that. 
you build up, you, you take the people who are in society and you try to teach them the best you can. And then you look at the children and you try to build up children who um to be strong and to be on code than broken men and women who don't want to change. So I think the idea that we really need to understand is that we need to put out more of these messages. We need to create like-minded um, individuals and like-minded thought processes and get together with individuals who do that. And we as a group who are on the same accord continue to be the example for our community. But again, that's not for other people to see. That's for us. So we need to just keep in mind that there's layers to this. The, the first layer is that you know, there is a way that um that this can all um kind of work out. But I think that's from us just maintaining appropriate behavior. We teach that appropriate behavior to children. And then we do not take that degenerate society of our own people and attribute it to those of us who are actually doing something that's beneficial. Oh, absolutely. I I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And like, it's just kind of frustrating because when we look at a lot of the people who are the biggest influencers in black society, they are typically the ones who are promoting degenerate behavior. It wasn't, it was the other day when I saw, um, it was like, I believe on IG, it was like a video of one of the city girls. And she was saying that like, she was in like some kind of interview and she said, and she, I think she was asked if, like, what would she do if, if her daughter said that she wants to be a city girl just like her? And, and like, the, the woman, she said, she basically said she would shut that down. She wouldn't want that for her. And it's just very interesting to see someone who is, you know, creating music that prom promotes, basically, that promotes unacceptable behavior, pushing it. You, she understands she is an influencer and that she does have a certain level of influence she's spreading that message to other children but will then say that oh no i'm not going to have my child act that way well newsflash children behave based off of how their parents act not how you tell them if you want them to do right you have to lead by example you can't just say you know there was there's always this notion in the black community where they'll go like do as i say not as i do mm -hmm. but I let's see let, but we can clearly see what that has led to it has not led to positive results and this is where i come down hard on the black community where i'm like we like to do things differently and think that they'll work but it's like look you got to respect this white man right here Einstein's definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. We have seen the stuff that we do that yields negative results. And instead of actually changing it, we just commit to it because we have so much pride and we don't want to admit when we are wrong and where we have messed up. Mm -hmm. I yeah, I agree. I think that, um, uh, we're talking about like major influences nowadays in the community, right? You're right. The, the degenerates are winning the war, you know, with that, with the influence, with that. Um, I think that um, it, it comes down to so many different things, right? Uh, because I think, you know, <laughs> watching the little girl on my Instagram feed twerking at like a pool party uh, surrounded by a whole bunch of adults, I think that's very concerning. Uh, uh, very concerning. So, 
it's one of those things where uh, it is going to take, like Ola said, uh, a collective of us just pushing this uh, agenda with standards and holding people accountable and knowing what is acceptable and what is not acceptable, uh, even in professional spaces. Um, you know, I, I see the argument of, of um, you know, that white people define professionalism. But I think that when you are in a, you know, like me, I'm in a black owned company and, you know, everybody's black, all upper management, uh, black. And I think that uh, we still have we still have problems with professionalism because I think that, right, we are unique. Uh, we do have unique hairstyles and unique ways which we dress and, and match things. However, within that, there is a form of professionalism that we know and can develop, you know. Um, you know, so it's it's just one of those things where, um, yeah, it, it's gonna it's gonna definitely take a collective, and I think you know, uh, moving forward, um, I think one of the things that I do is I make sure that I am, you know, that role model. I have a young man here who's heavily influenced by you know black culture, uh, to the point where. <laughs> You know, here I am, you know, black man, you know what I'm saying? I got this going, I got that going. Uh, I don't sag, you know. Um, I don't, you know, go around using the N-word, you know. Everybody got their own preference with that. But I just find it more useful to say my brother, fam, cuzzo, you know, whatever, you know. Uh, but here he is, you know, uh, I guess expiring to be like me. And he's sagging, wearing a do-rag. He has... <laughs> Beautiful long hair, but he puts it all under a do rag. Uh, he sags and he, you know, wants to dress. I guess uh, how uh, black people dress. Um, I didn't think that being black came down to how we dress too. Um, but yeah, and even using the language, the N word, and this and the third. Now he doesn't use it around me because once again, that's not something that I accept from anybody, right? But. Um, and when we talk about, you know, that degenerate culture, he is, that's the only thing he's picking up about what it means to be black is this is it. This is it right here. I'm black because I have a do-rag. I sag my pants. I use the N-word. I listen to some music. They always, you know, they're always talking about, you know, I'm saying, you know, calling women bitches and I fucked her and I fucked him and, you know, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Um, fucking. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, getting busy, but no, this, um, this is what he's consuming, right? And in his mind, he is black because of this. Um, but yeah, yeah, most most definitely. Yeah, I um, that's why I never have believed that there is one definition of what black is. Like Andrew said in one on one of my episodes, um, he said to quote Marvel, it's like a, a what you would you say, Andrew, like it's an expanding universe, an ever expanding universe. Yeah, something along those lines. Yes, like there is no one thing. You can't box it. But I do think there are people who do try to talk who try to box it in. But you know, that's another conversation for another day. Um so this is my last question. Yeah, you're Sorry. Oh, go no, you go ahead, Carlos. I'm listening. I was about to say, yeah, what you were about to get into was the one big Negro concept. Like that, I don't I don't agree with that. So uh that's what you were about to talk about. Like not saying that you were doing that, mm -hmm. but that's 
uh, essentially what I also don't agree with as well, too. Personally, though, I believe like when we talk about black culture, I believe heavily in delineation. We need to talk about what's happening in each specific culture that's actually taking place. Uh, what I mean by that is we look at blacks all over the diaspora, looking at, you know, Africans, looking at Caribbeans, looking at black Americans and, you know, looking at how all those cultures thrive as well, too. A lot of times there's a lot of conflating and taking those cultures and blending them into one. Hence why I call it the one big Negro concept. Jeez, that's a hell of a name for a concept, but it makes sense. Um, Stephen, did you say anything? No. Well, go ahead. Go ahead, man. Shit. Don't let me just move on. <laughs> <laughs> or having me lose track of what the question was. Oh, um, has the black family been accountable and will it ever be accountable? Oh, I did answer that. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. Okay, I'm just making sure. I'm just making sure. I look at the corporations. Yes. Yes. I'm just making sure. Um, you know, it is interesting because it's like I asked this question because I just hate the idea that some people believe that they are above it. And I always say no one's above accountability and an ass whooping. Like I'm I'm just being real. But that that's just me. Um had to let somebody in my family know that a couple weeks ago. Glad I told them. But moving on. Um this is the last question that I have. So I know like it was touched on a little bit, but the question is what will it take to to reestablish the black family now. Like, and I asked that because we were more married and together during some of the the worser times in the past here in the United States. Like, it's crazy that the marriage rate was like in the high 80s, I think to the mid 90s during Jim Crow versus now it's dropped tremendously. So what do you think can be some things to reestablish the black family and the strengthening of the black family in today's world. Anyone can go first. A lot of people always want to talk about culture and doing things within the culture. And there's a pretty popular saying that uh, culture is downstream of politics. I disagree with that. I think that culture and politics kind of push and pull at one another. I think that the way to do things is basically try to force it through legally. Like you make divorce harder to get within certain circumstances and that sort of thing. Um, you try to have less government dependence on things. But like, if you look at examples like the Affordable Care Act being passed, Republicans really didn't support that. They still don't to an extent, obviously. But that the conversation by getting it enacted through law changed from, um, oh, we shouldn't have universal health care at all to repeal and replace Obamacare. Oh, I shouldn't have called Obamacare. I hate when it's called that. <laughs> repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a purely legal phenomenon. I think the Affordable Care Act had about 53% approval ratings when it was originally passed, but then it got higher as it went, or the idea for universal health care in general went. I think the same thing is true for the family structure, especially in terms of the Black family. Now, you got to say on that? Yeah, I agree to that. Um, there's like this concept that um, a lot of black women would like to be single so they could get um, or idea like they would like to be single so they could get child support. Um, or um, there was like a movement at one point, I believe that for single mothers, they would get more food stamps and more assistance from the government. Um, so some political things definitely have a huge impact on the Black family for sure. And I think another thing that would be helpful to rebuild the Black family dynamic is just um, 
I guess, education on where we come from and how our family started and where we are now. And then building out, starting within the household, like how can we change right here in our own home? Um, I think it would bring everything full circle. I feel like there's a lot of um, people in my generation where they don't know, you know, who their ancestors are. They don't know their family tree. They don't know the history. Um, They don't know what everything the family had to go through. And sometimes hearing that story uh, will make you as an individual be like, hmm, maybe I could make a difference for myself as an individual or the other side of it, like maybe I should appreciate my family more and build a bond with my family more knowing what everyone had to go through. So um, yeah, I see uh, Stephen's point and I also wanted to just mention that as well. I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, for me with this, I think that it's, it is a collection of what everybody has said. Um, understanding the bigger picture, understanding that at the small level, responsibility, accountability, no, I'm not generalizing. Um, and I think this also goes on Colossus' point of being on code. But for me, the biggest thing is, I know me personally, I learn more from what you did wrong versus what you did right. And I think that for me, one of the biggest things, it, it will be, it is in the realm of accountability. However, it's also addressing the fact of there are these and had been these issues and we are not going to do it. It's like for all my people who've seen the black first Black Panther movie, it was when the child was coming back and he went off on every moment like, you know, you are <laughs> like, that's me with my family my immediate family it's like this is where you fucked up you fucked up this way you fucked up that way you did this wrong you did that wrong you did that wrong you did this wrong not discounting the good things that were done but just understanding that those bad things that were done those wrong things that were done were way more impactful and to understand that is not what i'm going to bring down my family line that bullshit that happened to me will never happen to my kids i will ensure that and i will ensure that that never happens to their kids that is just how i see it of that's where i think we should go from is addressing those wrongdoings the the lack of accountability and really just rebuilding this shit and that's just how i see relentless real quick could you repeat the question that you were asking yes of course uh the Mm -hmm. question i was asking is how do you think we can rebuild the black family structure moving forward oh okay gotcha that's what i thought you asked yes okay i can go ahead and answer it um so as far as rebuilding the black family structure i think Again, it's a lot of like what we say and then what we do by example, right? I think that um, when we can be the example ourselves, we can inspire, you know, other generations of people to do the same thing. So rebuilding to me is literally looking at the base of the foundation and how we can build that up and continue to have that progress. So from my mind, that is a thing of looking at how we can convince our, not convince, but teach our children to be strong men and to also be feminine women and how we can build them up, you know, to be uh, powerful people in black society. So in other words, it kind of goes back to your point, Relentless, which I 100% agree with, which is looking at the accountability of, you know, um, 
like the older generations or um as um Jason Black would say the old niggas like a lot of them have done a lot of them have like you know done a lot of damage because they haven't like provided that structure that's going to um be beneficial to us now we're fighting the battle that they should have been that they should have fought and probably won at this point but they chose not to because they gave into you know integration and all these other things but we won't go down that rabbit hole all I'm simply saying is, is that like we need to, like you said, look at the things that were amiss and were messed up in the past. What do we not do? We didn't provide a good foundation. We didn't show, you know, um, people of like blacks how to, um, you know, have have businesses. We didn't, um, you know, show each other how to, you know, be on code and those types of things. Those were things that were amiss from, you know, our parents and grandparents. And those are things that we need to do in order to build the foundation for those younger generations. So what a lot of us need to do is have like, you know, discussions like we're having, for example, on your platform, which is very important, but we also need to use our creative geniuses to innovate something that's actually going to positively affect our community too. So it's not even us just, you know, discussing and having conversations, but actually putting these things into, into fruition and showing and proving and being the example, which is why I also don't agree with the saying of, uh, you know, do as I say, not as I do. That's hypocritical. And that's also not very beneficial. And that's how a lot of older generations thrive. So we need to eliminate hypocrisy and we need to do something that just shows the people who we are in the way that we want the future generations to look like. Right. And I think um, I agree with everything that's been said. And I think that I think, yeah, the bottom line is, you know, leading by example, holding ourselves accountable, you know, setting standards for ourselves, like being an example for our children and even uh, those around us. Um, and I think another thing that uh, I don't want to, <laughs> I do want to know your, I guess, everybody's opinion about this is uh, the notion that uh, because I am taking time, and, and, and not everybody sees it this way, but I am I am getting this, this a lot um, because I am taking the time to work on myself and uh, making sure that I'm, you know what I'm saying, educated and making sure that uh, I'm building wealth and saving and budgeting and uh, making sure I take care of myself and everything like that, that uh, people assume that um, my future spouse uh, would be white. Um, and I think that uh, one of the things that I am seeing a lot of is a lot of our, you know, brothers or sisters, um, you know, starting interracial families and having interracial kids. Uh, and these kids um, are on the line of like, you know, black and, and white or black or Hispanic. And I think that um, do we, I guess, you know, incorporate them too uh, in when we talk about black family structure, right? Or does it have to be black man, black women, black children, right? You mind if I, I dive into that one? I would I would love yeah, to dive into this one. I was gonna give it to you. I was gonna. Give it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just waiting. Yeah, just um, yeah. <laughs> um, it. So if we're okay, so so here's the thing about a lot of what you said. Um, I ca call myself a pro-black blurred, and so when I say when I use the term pro-black to describe myself, I'm talking about somebody who puts 
blackness first in every single regard, right? That's what pro-black means to me. It doesn't mean disregarding other communities per se, like, a, oh, they're, you know, like you're trashing them or you're always disrespectful to them or whatever. It's, it has nothing to do with any of that. Pro-blackness means you put black people first because nobody has put black people first. When we're talking about building up black people and black communities, we are talking about black people with black people and black people only. Now, that doesn't exclude people who interracially date. We don't we don't um denigrate those people. We don't denigrate people who who, um you know, have an interest in somebody who is not black. That's not how we get down. But what we do advocate for is that black people be with other black people, not just because of the fact that it's a survival thing and not just because of the fact that it's a cultural thing and that understanding, but just also knowing that there's something very powerful, beautiful and, you know, great about being with like being a black man and being with a black woman or being a black woman and being with a black man. There's something very powerful about that union. And so so when we talk about people who interrac interracially date, that doesn't mean that they are not black. It means that they are not pro-black. So I think that's one big difference. The other thing, too, that I wanted to kind of tap on when you were talking about, um, you know, black people and, you know, thinking that you might not be date or you might date somebody who is white. I'll tell you from my experience. A lot of people hear me speak and I have a kind of proper dialect. So growing up, I used to get people who would tell me that, you know, I talk white or they thought I was into white girls and this and that and whatever. A lot of times I'm just going to say from the perspective of a black man, when a black woman would tell me that that was because she low key was kind of, you know, not there was some kind of self-esteem issues. There was a thing of a I he may be too good for me type of thing. So a lot of them would go and they would kind of project that type of insecurity because they would already see you on a certain level because of how they were describing you. This is not the case for all black women, but for a lot of the ones who did that. I'm not going to speak for black men because really you shouldn't even be worrying about how somebody is speaking in any way, uh, like the, the way that they're speaking. But my feeling is, you know, what can we see visibly? Who are you visibly like um, deciding that you're having relationships with? Are they other black people? Are you dating interracially? Are you dating like it does it like not matter? What's that type of thing? But again, some of this well, really all of what I'm saying goes back to being on code and having a code of ethics. Anybody who has a strong code of ethics when it comes to the black community knows that being pro black is the best way to be able to not just preserve, but to thrive as a black structure. Anybody want to comment on that? I guess a, a follow up, but I'm I'm gonna hold on. Wait, I'm gonna let uh, Justice go, but I do have a follow up to that. Uh, go ahead, Justice. Go ahead. Oh, oh yeah. I was just gonna say it's it's very interesting because as soon as we start like intersectionality, I guess you could say, or when you start talking about mixed relationships or how people identify as black, um, that's why I have to agree. There is a difference between being black or being in close proximity to being black but versus being pro black and i definitely agree there is something powerful about a black man and a black woman being in a relationship and black love and black families and having black children and black generations um it's just something strong about that 
And I don't know, everybody always asks like, what What do you mean something strong about it or powerful about it? What does that mean to you? And none of us can uh, define it. None of us can say oh, or explain the feeling, but we just know it's there. It's just something that you feel. You can't really describe it or grasp onto it. But when you look at your partner and both of you can identify with a similar struggle, struggles, right? Or the code that we're talking about, or a mindset, or we both can understand where each, you know, family member or partner is coming from, because we identify with the same race, that is extremely powerful. So uh, I definitely agree with that statement. I just want to add that. Nah, I definitely agree with y'all. I do think that it is powerful seeing, you know, black man and a black woman come together and create and have black children and create black families. I do think that is very powerful and that it is very important. But one thing I do want to kind of add that I've noticed is it's really interesting how, you know, when the topic of, you know, interracial relationships and interracial families come up with black people, between black people and non-black people, it's interesting how people put a lot of emphasis on it and act like it's this crazy phenomenon that's just happening across the country widespread. But if you look at the statistics of, you know, interracial marriage, it's really not as high as, you know, like the media or like the media or like other people would have it seen. So like, I agree a hundred percent. Yeah, because like I'm I'm looking, I'm looking right now. I literally have like the statistics pulled up, and like these statistics came from this was from like what 2021, so it was like a few years ago. And, and the ultimate source is from the U.S. Census. Census, like of the black men who are married, 85% have a black wife. Of the black women that are married, 93% have a black husband. So this whole so this whole notion that especially you and I definitely want to say this from a black man's perspective because, man, th there's always this notion that black men are more likely to be sellouts or whatever the kid, or just sellouts across the board just by not marrying a black woman. But the majority of black men have black wives. And it's not even just like a simple majority, it's an overwhelming majority. Thank you for saying that. Um, was someone about to jump in? Oh, I was I was going to just follow with a question. Um, <clears throat> how do you feel about? Um, is it can a can a can a person you know be black uh, date outside their race um, and then marry black, or is the problem come when they marry outside their race? Is it the dating? Is it just the marriage and the children? Um, how is that defined? Does that make that person? I guess I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. Yeah, me personally, that would make him. You know, less black. But um, and I understand the the concept of you know you can be you know black, but you're not pro black. And I guess that comes down to your final duty is to marry you know a black woman, or if you're a black woman, you, you marry a black man. Um, but I guess um, once again, in, the, in this day and time, do you think that um, that's something that should be revisited? 
Should we look at that again and say, well, you know, um, you know, kind of thing. You know, I'm no. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> um, let's try to keep our answers short for this one. Um, and sum it up as best as we can. Uh, for me, I'm gonna say it depends. I think that there are people out there who get in interracial relationships, but they still do a lot of things for their community. And I think that there are people who get in interracial relationships, and they use that to show that this race is better, and my race sucks. And I also think that's the same, too, for white people. I think some white people get into interracial relationships to be like, white people are trash. This race is so much better. Our, long story short, there was a white girl. Um, when the, the Kardashians. Girl, Sorry, just wanted to throw them in there. Exactly. The Kardashians, perfect example of that, too. No white girl. She said, white boys are trash. They're all terrible. And that's why I want a black man, because they can actually protect me. I think you're getting into that relationship for the wrong reasons. Same thing like vice versa. You think black men or black women are shit, so you start dating white women, Asian women, Hispanic women. That is terrible. That is sad, and you need to go to therapy. But I do think there's this, this thing of like, it is crazy how some people support this for one group with this saying, but they don't say it for this one. They say, oh, well, love is love, but you see black dude with a white girl but you support, let's say, like Jesse Smollett's lifestyle. And then I hit you with, the, I thought, well, love is love. And then it's like, oh, no, that's different. No, no, now we're being hypocritical. But the short-term answer for me is it depends. Uh, anyone can can go next. Eric, you remind me can, Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Steve. Yeah, Eric, you remind me something terrible. I saw a video on YouTube a while back where um. This, this this lady, her I think it was her husband, he had this fucking cuckold fetish. And it was specifically like with black men. And so she took him to um this convention and it was I'll, I'll send it to you after the show if you want to watch it. It's the worst thing I think I've ever seen in my life. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> well go ahead, whoever was next. I can go. Um yeah, I'll keep it short. So answer to your question does that need to be revisited absolutely not it doesn't need to be revisited but I, I just think there needs to just be an understanding um you know this this is this is my perspective on it i feel like if somebody wants to date interracially that's that's fine if you want to do that and you're black this this I, I don't really have an issue with that what i have an issue with is kind of what a relentless was saying a little bit here which is basically you go and you date somebody of another race because you want to disrespect um, you know, people of your same race. That's really the big thing there. And also, too, I think that regardless of your choice to um, like uh, date somebody who's in a racial, whether it's to bash your same race or whether it's just because like you just happen to like this, you know, white woman or white man at this one time and maybe you like a black man or um, black woman at another time. To me, I feel like that's if you choose to date and marry and, and whatnot, somebody who is of another race you are not pro-black no matter how you spin it can you be attracted to somebody of another race yeah i think that's natural but i think that if you make the conscientious decision to you know marry or date or have that type of relationship with the individual that's a special union that's something that where the there's these other factors kind of go into it that you need to kind of think about like something that you really really need to like honker down on because think about it you're not going to 
you know, marry or date anybody like, you know, just because like they fit like one particular bill, you're going to look at all factors of why this is important. A marriage is a union and to some extent, like, you know, business related in some regards. So I think that you need to kind of like look at those types of things as a black person. And culture is like a really big thing when it comes to that. And just looking at the system again of white supremacy. At the end of the day, if you are if you want to be if you claim to be somebody who's pro-black, then you would marry, date, et cetera, a black person. Can that change? Can you become pro-black by choosing to date only black people or whatever? Yeah, of course you can. But uh, and, and does like you choosing to interracially date in the past condemn you from being pro-black in the future? No, it doesn't. But if you marry and you cool with it and all this other stuff, somebody who is not black. That absolutely 100% does not make you pro-black. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. All right. Anybody else before we wrap this up? Well, all right. I do want to say thank you to everybody who joined us on the show today. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, another big shout out to my sponsor at Child Lake Clothing. I love y'all. Y'all keep being great. And I'll see you here for the next conversation. We are out.